thank you very much, Kevin, for taking the time. I know that working retail is a bit of a time-consuming thing, so to find time in your day to do this, I really do appreciate it. Maybe just kick off and tell people a little bit about yourself and what it is that you do and how, how you ended up doing it. So I've been in the music industry pretty much since I started work. Um, I studied journalism and really struggled to find work and then landed up at CD Warehouse, which was kind of the start of, you know, I guess, music retail for me. I spent some time overseas and did retail there as well and um, came back to Joburg and again, just sort of fell back into retail just because it was reasonably well paid and was really struggling to kind of find my feet anywhere else. And from there, I landed up working for a record label, which was very cool. Worked there for a long time. Ended up starting my own record label and kind of moved into the event side of things I was doing a lot of production work and actually ran the Arts Alive Festival for a couple of years for three years I was part of a consortium that won that that tender oh wow and then the kind of tender ended (laughs) and uh, needed to do something things had changed on you know from a personal perspective it was both my first child and it was really 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 struggling for money like Mm. it it was really really tough and I had a mate who had a, a secondhand bookstore and a record store so I just took all my records that I've been collecting for whatever, 15 years and went to a record fair and sold them and then just used that money to pay some bills and bought more records and sold more records and started <laughs> dealing from a house and started dealing from Bid or Buy and, you know, the various online platforms that we had. I ended up having so many records I needed to do something with them. So I, I found a space in Linden and it was really supposed to be just a, like a bit of a storeroom where I would package records and then people come browse and if they bought a record fine you know and i was really only open like two and a half days a week at one point um friday saturdays and sunday mornings it sort of just grew and grew and grew and more people came in and uh, you know people started asking me to order stuff from overseas which is what i did you know using my contacts through labels and uh, you know just some, some of my experience from the, the record label side and then the shop sort of developed into like a full retail space and uh you know it's a bit of an online space as well you know my website's kind of actually took a bit of a, a back seat for a long time it was sort of just a bit of a business card kind of thing it was only during lockdown that it uh, that i really put a lot more effort into it so what is it about records because now essentially the vinyl space it kind of disappeared in the 90s and it came back with a vengeance a couple of years ago what is it about records because it's obviously a very analog thing and now in a very digital world and in some ways you can compare record lovers to classic car collectors you know it's clinging on to a bit of history uh, something that was made in a time that predates maybe you even. I'd imagine the nostalgia factor comes into play a little bit, but why do people lose their shit over vinyl? (laughs) Well, you know, I think it's a bit of a a misconception that like records actually just, you know, went away completely. In South Africa, we stopped pressing records in the late 90s. Um, That pressing plant went to Zimbabwe. But worldwide, they continued pressing records in very small quantities, admittedly. And it was really only for the hardcore people. But... um, you know, it never really went away and people continued to buy secondhand records. You know, we had the whole DJ thing through the 90s, which was very, very vinyl orientated. So, you know, the CDs kind of took over from your average consumer, but it was always still there. And I think there were still guys who sat at home listening to records. There seemed to be a lot of kind of young people who, you know, walked into my shop saying, you know, I've just inherited a record player and a whole bunch of records. And like, I just can't get enough of that. You know, it's not the sound. It's not... You know, there's so many kind of intangible things about records. You know, they're expensive, they're dusty, they're heavy, they're they're not the most convenient kind of um, format. Mm. But, you know, there's something incredibly beautiful about a record. You know, there's something incredibly sexy about a really cool seven single picture sleeve. Uh, you know, it's 
it's something that resonates very deeply with people. And I guess for a whole bunch of different reasons, you know, whether it's just the aesthetic of, of the record or, you know, a strong nostalgic feeling, or you get these guys who are like seriously entered from a collector's perspective. So, you know, I don't think it's one thing. I think it's a bunch of different things and it's, it's something different for every person. From my perspective, I mean, listening, sitting, listening to a record, it's not like you're listening to a CD or a, or an MP3 that you can kind of skip the tracks to find the one that you like and then put that one on repeat. You really are kind Kind of immersing yourself in this record as a whole and i think that well at least from my perspective that's how records were meant to be listened to i mean otherwise artists would just record singles um and not release records it, it's almost like an event when you put a record on yeah you know it's, it is an experience you, you put it on and play from beginning to end and there's no interruption there's no ads there's no there's no distraction from from just being in that headspace in that moment you know i I've sort of got a little bit into the streaming thing recently, and it's nice to discover new music, but mm. my first choice is always to put on a record, always, you know, unless I'm in, a, in an environment where we couldn't put on a record. Mm. But yeah, it's, it's uh, I don't know, there's something very cathartic about it. Yeah. <laughs> Now, running through a couple of the basics of records, you've obviously got your grooves and your needles, the different speeds, your 33s, 45s, and 78s. I think that there were 16s as well, if I'm not mistaken, like really slow playing records. Um, yeah, there was one that was like a 16 and two thirds or something. Yeah. It was a very yeah. strange speed. I think it was actually a, um, a very, very odd speed. You, do, you don't find a lot of records. I don't think it lasted very long. Mm. I've literally only found a couple of like dodgy rock and roll compilations with it on. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, the 78 speed was probably the first commercially viable record that came out. You know, it was played on a gramophone or a turntable that played 78s. Yeah. And that was the, the very thick shellac, very brittle, broke very easily. You need to you know, play it with a very sharp needle. But, you know, and there was only one track each side. Mm. And that's why you find these books of, of 78s. And those were called albums. So you would have your 10 78 records in this book and that was the album and that's where the term album comes from. I didn't know that. Learn something new every day. <laughs> would you be able to just delve a little bit into how it actually creates the, the sound off the vinyl? Okay, so it's really not my strong point, but uh, the, the grooves are created through a process of pressing the record. Uh, from a lacquer and from a um, from a master uh, acetate. The acetate is burned off a master, and those um, sound frequencies are transferred onto the groove by the cutting mechanism, which is then you create a, a positive and a negative, and that's pressed on a pressing machine onto soft record. Mm -hmm. So each of the grooves represents a different spectrum, a different sound, a different range, um, and that's picked up through the, through the needle on your record player. And is there a minimum setup? Because now everyone kind of raves that vinyl is the ultimate sound. You, you know, if it's if you want high fidelity sound, you go for vinyl because as you go down like CDs and then MP3s, even the high definition MP3s, the sound quality is lower. So is the sound on a record really Really that much better and is there a minimum setup if you're going to go the whole hog and go do vinyl surely there's like a minimum setup you need to in order to appreciate the sound that's coming off the vinyl i don't yeah, you know, there is a minimum. You need an amp, you need speakers, you need a player. With your analog sound, you have a much broader spectrum of sound. So you have more bottom end and more top end and more ranges in between, um, which is lost when you compressed sound for you know digital media like a CD and cr compressed even more for MP3s and for straight digital uh, downloads, for instance. Yeah. So whether or not it's better, you know, I think it depends on how you like to listen to music and what you, you like your music to sound like. If if you want super crisp clarity, 
um, you know, all of those things, which is achievable through high-end hi-fi, then it's possible. For me, you know, I like the, the warmth and the depth you get out of a record as opposed to the, the digital sound that you would get from an MP3 player or even a CD. Mm. Um, it just doesn't really have a kind of soul that, that, a, that a record sound does. But, you know, to each their own, you know, you find guys who w- won't go anywhere near record for love or, or money. Hmm. And, you know, the... I mean, the only place that people sort of agree is that, you know, your digital wave files and MP3s aren't really the most, um, you know, really giving you the best out of out of what, what music was supposed to sound like. Mm. So I think, um, you know, records are probably the most authentic way to listen to music. And the quality of that would very much depend on your equipment. So you could have a tone arm with 25,000 rand, a ruby tipped stylus with 50 grand, you know, you can really high end up your system. I mean, I know gas systems with 300, 500,000 rand. You know, every time they, they need a new stylus, they need to sell a kidney. You, know, it's, <laughs> you, you can't you can really go that that far. Yeah. That's not my headspace at all. Maybe to the detriment of the quality of what I hear, but uh, that's just not how I, I choose to listen to, to record. Uh, well, my entire setup is um, secondhand. My player and my amp both come out of 79 and my speakers are from 86. And the yeah. the sound is fantastic. I mean, I did obviously have to get a, a preamp to connect the amp to the player. And that's that's obviously brand new. I, I got that a couple of years ago. But I don't understand these people, you know, like you say, each to their own, um, that want to spend that amount of money. The, the vinyl itself is expensive, so... Yeah, I mean, I know guys with 25 copies of the first Led Zeppelin album because they insist on having the first press from the first countries that are always released in. Oh. You know, I, I don't really feel the need of having 25 copies of, of one record, but guys yeah. out there who do. <laughs> uh, now, speaking of that, in terms of the collecting, you, you get original press, you get reprints, you get from master tapes, you get the colored and the splattered vinyl now. Most new vinyl seems to be pressed on 180 gram vinyl. These are just some of the things that you come across when you are in that space. Is there really an ultimate when it comes to when and how a record is made? Is there such a thing as a poor quality record why is like a, an original press more valued and why would someone go for that or like a something pressed out of the uk rather than pressed out of south africa is there a difference in terms of the value of the record or is the value just what people place on it i mean it depends on the band it depends on the demand there, there are a lot of factors but a first press record it is generally sought after by collectors and that's obviously because it was released in the year it was recorded. And, you know, there probably aren't that many left, especially if you're thinking about, you know, a record from the 60s or 70s. So yeah. finding a, a first press in really good condition, you know, just by virtue of the length of time it's been out and how many are available, that would kind of define whether or not, you know, how collectible a record is. So, you know, a first press Barbara Streisand, probably not going to be that much money. <laughs> But a first press Led Zeppelin or, you know, a Beatles or something that was pressed and then withdrawn by the band. I mean, those can be incredibly valuable, you know, where they only released 500 into the marketplace. The band was unhappy about the artwork and then demanded a recall. And the only people who landed up with those were the guys who hung on to in the store, the music reps and, you know, the one or two lucky guys who got it in a while they're still on the shelves. Yeah. So a first, a first press is uh, it's like a first edition book. You know, your first edition Harry Potter is worth a lot of money. Since then, they've, you know, they've pressed up thousands of them. So, um, whereas the first press was probably a limited number initially. In terms of whether certain countries are more sought after or genuinely better quality, 
that's a definite yes. South Africa had a terrible reputation for uh, the quality of our, our pressings. They would overuse the stampers. So the initial thousand or whatever on your stamper would be fairly good, but then they'd carry on using the stamper and the stamper would degrade. And gradually your, your sound quality would degrade per press after that. Mm. Um, but saying that, there are some South African presses that are fairly valuable because of our small population that we're, say, into the Rolling Stones comparative to the overall population. So there were very few pressed compared to the numbers that would have been pressed in the UK, US, Germany, Australia even. Also, we, especially on 78s, there were some songs by, for instance, Elvis Presley that were only released on 78 and only in South Africa because we were late on the LP thing. So there were some 78s by Elvis or South African presses that you know weren't released on 78 elsewhere and they would be sought after by a collector. That whole um, mastered from the original tapes so the original tapes were digitized when we were going into, into CD and then in, they were digitized and mastered for digital. So it was released as a digital format. I'm just calling CDs digital. Yeah, yeah. Um, so then it's no longer the original tapes because it's been remastered specifically for CD. With records coming back, there was a big move to get the original master tapes, remaster them again for 180 gram vinyl. And then, you know, that's where the whole mastered from the original tapes comes from i guess there's from a spiritual perspective there's a certain <laughs> connection to be you know to be like a little bit closer to the original again you know there's not like one rule fits everything my feeling is that our processes are a whole lot better today than they ever were our pressing processes are better the 180 gram format i feel it is better just a little bit heavier I think it gives a longevity to the record that um, a thinner record wouldn't have. You know, I think uh, being able to get something that's mastered from the original specifically for, you know, it was recorded for record, it was mastered for record, and now it's released on record, where something was recorded for analog, changed to digital, mastered for digital, and then released on, on a digital format. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's sort of kind of back to the original, I would say. I read a, an article probably about a year or two ago that they're now making high-definition vinyl where the original press is done on, I think, titanium so that the edges don't degrade the more it presses. I don't know if any records are actually being printed that way or if, that, you know, that was just a kind of an experimental thing at that stage. But it's, it's quite interesting how even something as analog as a record you know the tech the tech behind it has developed as um as tech has improved yeah and it will continue to develop there's no doubt you know i think a, there's a big move to try and make record pressing more accessible and cheaper because it is a massive undertaking the kind of you know you need a factory you need boilers you need you know all kinds of things it's it's really not a simple setup and they the kind of home solutions where you can you know you can burn in real time onto an acetate but it's not really a commercial, it's not really commercially viable. You know, it's all burnt in real time. It'll take you a year and a half to burn like 500 records. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, yeah. Uh, you know, setting up a factory and, you know, there's no technology in South Africa that exists to make records. So yeah. you're going to have to import everything in dollars set it up here yeah it's it's a big big undertaking yeah, yeah. now it seems like your business uh, you mentioned that it kind of developed almost organically but it's it seems like it developed out of a passion for music you you know you were doing the djing and obviously working at the uh, production company and so on there are a lot of conflicting accounts regarding following your passion versus keeping business uh, and hobby 
separate. Do you have a take on this? Because uh, obviously you have got a passion for music that's kind of evolved and through every stage of your career you've had some kind of link to the music industry. So I'm interested to know about your take on kind of passion versus business and how they feed into one another. So I definitely keep fewer records than I used to. So it's it's really kind of, you know, I'm in a situation where, you know, a cool record or a valuable record would be really nice to have in my collection, but actually the bills to pay and that record needs to be sold. So, you know, I've had to really <laughs> rein myself in as to what I keep and, and what goes into the shop. So I would say that my own record collection has become incredibly focused and I had to be very, very selective about what I what I want in, in my collection and what I, what I choose to listen to and what, what is what I'm collecting either for something that I think I might be into later or something that actually might be valuable later. So it's sort of being, being kept in storage um, in my collection so I can show everybody I've got it and I've got bragging rights. But really cool records, <laughs> which is 50% of having a big record collection is being able to tell everybody what you've got, Yeah, yeah. Um, by the way. Um, there are days and weeks where I'm so sick of records that it's the last thing I want to see the last thing uh, you know. Have any? It's tough. It, you know, it, it really it, it can it, you know it can be a bit much. Like, and I'm just I'm, I'm done with records for this week, and it, it, nothing nothing is going to excite me <laughs> about <laughs> what I see now. You know, music has been such a big part of my life for so long, and it, you know I'm always drawn back to it in in some form or another. You know, my my other business as well. You know, it's all about the music industry. So that's all, I, all I've really ever known. I mean, that's on the live side. You know, the impact there is, uh, you know, I hate going to live concerts now. Mm. You know, standing out front with, with everybody is just the worst thing in the world. Like, <laughs> I, I want to be backstage. That's where that's where I watch music from. You know, yeah, yeah. Put my hands in the air and do what I'm told by a musician. I just had to, like, backstage. No, <laughs> this doesn't work. No. <laughs> so, you know, it, it really does. Your whole perspective on the music industry shifted and you know what i listen to and what i choose to keep in my collections definitely changed now you mentioned when we were chatting in the shop the other day that this was originally like a bit of a side hustle for you because you were running a business that was looking like i mentioned earlier for for international talent for live concerts and events and obviously with various lockdowns and restrictions and so on that industry has kind of fallen away completely and your your focus has now gone more onto the the retail record side so having started nine years ago obviously the business was kind of established quite luckily uh, as you went into lockdown how was the transition switching your focus from live events to something that was completely retail yeah so you know there was a time when the records was all i had so it wasn't a side hustle, it was, you know, it, it was my main hustle. And, you know, it's sort of been my main hustle, my side hustle, my main hustle. My side hustle. <laughs> <laughs> so as, as it's, um, you know, as other, other aspects of what I do have been good or bad, that's when the, the, the record shop's kind of always been there for me. Yeah. And, you know, the, the store's been open nine years, but I've probably been dealing records for three, four years longer than that out of my home. And then, you know, I worked for a, an events agency and a various things. And, I, you know, really, I thought, you know, all I really want to do is records. And, you know, I, I kind of focused on the record store for a good maybe four, six months. And it, it, it really got me down. It, it was um, the same thing kind of over and over again. And the, the hustle within a hustle, you know, it got pretty hard. You know, fortunately, I was able to, you know, redevelop the, the, the live side and the, the, the more industry kind of based stuff. And then the, the shop, again, became sort of a side hustle. You know, I had, I had a manager, um, you know, I was there sort of running it, but, they, you know, the day-to-day -day stuff was kind of was handled. Mm. And then, as you said, with the lockdown and, 
suddenly, you know, it's very strange waking up one day and, and you know, your entire year is work-wise is just, it's gone. You know, imagine waking up one day and saying, we don't need computers anymore. What would happen to all those people? <laughs> and, you know, we, we forget about the, the industries that the event industry kind of supports and, and there are hundreds. So they, you know, all these people who just woke up to nothing one day and, you know, I, I was very fortunate in that you know, I still had the record store. Mm. It definitely helps having me there and, you know, being able to make decisions and take charge. And, um, you know, I had to let you know, my, my main staff members go just because, you know, I, you know, I had a, a business that was paying my salary and paying the rent and doing all of those things that were suddenly gone now. Mm. And, you know, there just wasn't space. And there isn't really the kind of income from a small record store that can support more than one or two people full time. Yeah. Depending on the month, it barely supports me full time. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, so it's, it's been massive. It, it hasn't been easy by any stretch of the imagination. And, you know, I work very, very hard at sourcing records. I'm constantly, you know, in two months, do I buy new shelves or do I buy records? Do I paint? Do I buy records? You know, mm. so I need to balance this this weird, like, do I do aesthetic and cosmetic things to the shop when, when a good collection walks through my door? You know, that's where, that's where my money's going. Your stock is obviously re extremely reliant on uh, people looking to sell or get rid of their collections as well. So is there any concern that there might at some stage be a, a, like a dropout in the amount of people that are selling records? There is a concern that you know the records would one day dry up. That's a that's a definite worry. Mm. Um, I think there's a, probably a bigger chance that people stop buying records first. Though the fad will, will fade. Although you know, the fad's already faded. Mm. There's no ways that we're selling the records that you know where we were five years ago. It's already it's already kind of plateaued out, and you know it's picked up a whole bunch of newbies along the way who are now kind of sticking with it. So there's a certain consistency in that. But you know, there's you know it's definitely flattened out. Okay. Do you think it's going to go into like a decline that, you know, collectors that were big into it were are now going to come and dump their record collections and try and try and get money from them? There is this kind of preconceived idea that if you've got a record collection, it is worth thousands and thousands of rand. And that's not necessarily true. Is it going to go into decline or, you know, do you think it's plateaued and it's going to kind of just stay ticking along? Because there's quite a lot of record shops in you know, just Johannesburg, is there enough business to obviously keep all this, it's a niche industry, to keep everyone in business? Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't mind if there were a couple of fewer. <laughs> <laughs> and maybe that's the difference. I mean, when I started, there were three of us, you know, mm. and then uh, all of a sudden there were 12 of us. Um, you know, you're, you're always going to come across people who think that their records are, are, are crazy valuable. And the, the reality is there are very few records that kind of prorate the number of records that are out there that are actually have like any significant value. In terms of a drop-off, I'm already buying collections back from people. That's already started. Yeah. I, you know, I think there are already people who have got their 150, 200 records, you know, predominantly reissues or, or new releases, and they're just sitting there and they're sort of over it and they don't have place for their record player anymore. Yeah. But maybe they're going to hang on to it because, you know, maybe those will be worth money someday, like the first first press of the new Arcade Fire record or the, you know, the David Bowie record or, you know, I think those things have got potential value going forward, but I'm talking 20 years from now. But, you know, I'm 
I'm already buying records back from people who have had enough mm. and just can't be bothered anymore or it's just become too expensive for them because, you know, being where we are and being at the mercy of, you know, the currencies, it's, it, you know, it's hard to maintain, if, mm. especially if you want to buy new stuff. And yeah. maybe that's quite frustrating for people as well. You know, want to have a record collection, but spending 600 bucks on a new record every month or whatever, is just not, not feasible. How do you differentiate yourself from your competitors? I would say that I've kind of, I've really tried to put a big focus on, um, hip-hop and R&B and, you know, bringing those kinds of records into South Africa, into the shop. There seems to be a market there that's that's interested in buying records because these these titles, predominantly the stuff from the, the 90s and early 2000s, weren't available in South Africa. They weren't. Mm. They were only pressed on CD. You know, we'd stop pressing records at that point. So, you know, there's some records there that um, people sort of my age, you know, are looking to have on record that they didn't have the opportunity to buy on record back then. I don't spend a lot of time thinking about my competitors. Mm. I, I really don't. I, you know, I think... Record buyers go everywhere. They're not only going to come to me. So, you know, I don't put a lot of, you know, you can't expect a customer to only be loyal to you. If I provide a service that, that they're happy with and they keep coming back, that's great. But if another guy's got the same record down the road, they're, they're going to go down the road to get it, which is which is cool. That's, that's the way retail works. I spend a lot of time and efforts trying to keep things relatively new in the shop stock-wise, which is not always possible because, you know, you're completely reliant on second-hand records. Yeah. So you put out what you get. I spend quite a lot of time making sure that the records I put out are in at least very good condition. And, you know, anything less usually doesn't land up on the shelves or goes into my bargain bin. Mm. So, I, you know, I try to maintain a certain quality in the shop. But, yeah, I, I really don't spend a lot of time thinking about what my competitors do, how they do it. Uh, you know, I market myself on Facebook. I have a little database, you know, SMS database that I send, you know, the odd special to. And just try and stay, you know, active and relevant and you know i try to try to do cool stuff as opposed to trying to push push sales constantly which mm. just gets boring you know so if i find a cool cover i'm gonna put it up and it's not not necessarily even for sales just something really cool you know, yeah. especially i recently grudgingly became part of instagram <laughs> 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 that, that's definitely like my instagram is like stuff i find cool and i'll put on my instagram but you know it's not for sale it's just because it's there and it's fun. I, I must say, I I prefer Instagram to the other platforms. I find LinkedIn very, you know, from a corporate perspective, because a lot of my clients are corporate, but I don't know, Facebook for me, I can't handle Facebook. If I didn't have to be on Facebook, I probably wouldn't. And so it's interesting to hear that you hate Instagram because I have that feeling for Facebook. <laughs> I don't. I don't hate Instagram. In fact, out of all of them, Instagram's the least offensive of all of them. They are, you know, you put up a photo, you put a little caption, people like it, they move on. There's no like discussion, and you know, no one's crying because they've been left out, or you didn't include this, or you know, you, you didn't reference that when you said something else was cool. And so, you know, I find Facebook like an absolute cesspit. Yes, yeah. <laughs> you know, it, it is an effective tool to market products. So if I get a new list of records and that goes up, I get, I get very good engagement from that. I get mm. very good engagement from pictures I put up about stuff that's gone into the shop. So people are able to to see that and kind of um, interact with that. Um, it's a good way to promote my website and potential sales. And I can put up a link, new hip hop, new soul, new jazz titles up and it works on the second hand and the new stuff. Yeah. So it is out and out a marketing tool for me. I do not engage well, I engage very little on Facebook and I never express an opinion on Facebook. Uh, you have to be so careful about that. I'd like to just end off with a quick fire round. Short questions, but you can answer in as long a fashion as you see fit. So question one, define success. Paying bills. <laughs> yeah, if I had to define success, it would be 
working so I don't have to work or doing something uh, even though I don't have to. Mm. So I like my time off. If I was, if I was able to work um, just to get time off and pay the bills, mm. that's kind of success for me. Is there a specific routine or thing that you do that you believe contributes to your success? I think I'm, I'm pretty... Like, I, I never really stop working. I don't have to say, it's obviously, it's not a good thing, but there's always calls, there's always leads, there's always a record to price, a record to grade. You know, it, it never really ever stops. And you sort of have to be, you have to be on all the time. And, uh, you know, it's you know, just dealing with the daily grind, getting it done, moving on to the next thing. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, what do they call it? Um, yeah, a certain amount of re- resilience and dogmaticness. What do you do when you're not working? Listening to records, I would assume. Unless you're tired of records. <laughs> yeah, I mean, when I'm not working, you know, I'm, you know, I'm hanging out at home. I love being at home. Um, you know, really, it's a happy place for me. You know, there's very seldom time without music. You know, even when I'm I'm not working on records, I'm listening to music. I love just just switching off. Like I watch a lot of MMA fighting. Mm. You know, watch series. Mm. Um, so yeah, I, I, I guess vegging is the right word. I like to veg. <laughs> We all need to veg. I had a veg day yesterday, but like I, I woke up this morning, I'm like, holy crap, I've got so much to do. Um, I should have actually been working. So it's difficult to kind of separate and have guilt-free veg time. Yeah, no, it's important. Oh. You've, you've got to, like, I'll, I'm the same. I spent some time working in the morning and the afternoon, I just did nothing. And there was so much to do. And I just like, at some point, you've just got to do it another day. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, otherwise you never get off the treadmill and you need that time. Yeah. If all the books in the world suddenly spontaneously combusted except for one, what would that book be and why? Evil's Valley by Andre Brink. Okay. Um, it's got to be one of the... I've never been so kind of consumed by a book ever. I picked it up and I finished it in 10 hours or something. Jeez. I just couldn't put it down. I love everything about his writing. It has always been amazing to me. So, yeah, I think that would be the one. Awesome. I'll check it out. What is one piece of advice you wish you had received when you started your business? No pressure. <laughs> <laughs> piece of advice? It's weird. Like I never felt like I was short of advice. I was short of everything else. Mm. You know, I was short of capital, I was short of time. You know, capital was 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 a really big thing. You know, I could only open the shop by you know maxing out my credit card. I had no access to um, loans or family money or, or yeah. anything like that. Yeah, I mean, I you know, I guess I guess some of the the some of the mistakes I've made in my other businesses definitely helped. So, you know, having a decent accountant, having a decent auditor, understanding my limitations when it came to especially the the business side of the business. So tax and VAT and all of that. Yeah. So I guess my um, my response would be, uh, if someone had said, get a good accountant, mm. that probably would, would have been good advice. When I was researching one for my business, um, I was lucky enough to find a guy that actually worked previously for SARS. So he knows the ins and outs of the tax. But um, you hear nightmare stories about other people where the accountants are like giving them dodgy advice and like trying to hide personal expenses in the business and that kind of thing. It's, it's I think I got lucky. I don't know how you find a, a good accountant. You know, you just have to, mm. at some stage, you have that level of trust that you're just going to have to hope that this guy's not going to run away with your money. Yeah. yeah, I actually went through a previous company I was sort of involved with. They had an auditing firm. So you know, I needed auditors, so I went to the auditors and they suggested an accountant. So yeah, I was lucky. But you know, it's not cheap. 
Yeah. You know, you, you pay for what you get, and, and that's just the reality in that kind of field. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's with anything, all the way from tattoos to whatever. Um, you know, <laughs> if you're going to go cheap, you're going to get that kind of end product. So, yeah. Um, yeah, tattoos are a good one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Where can people get hold of you? Okay, so I mean, the website's easy. It's just uh, recordmad.co.za. And Facebook, also pretty easy to find. Just search recordmad and you'll come up. Um, well, we'll come up. It's a bit odd, uh, really, such my generation, like the before computer generation. So I actually set up my Facebook page as recordmad, as in recordmad Stuart. Um, so it's not actually a, it's actually a person. Um, <laughs> I've also got a page, which I'm slowly starting to migrate people to, but. Um, yeah, so I'm there, the store's there as, as a person, and I guess in a way it is like a, <laughs> another person in my life. Um, <laughs> and then I'm on um, I'm on Instagram as kstart1, which was an uh, obscure DJ name at some point, but the record mad icon is there, and yeah, I, I just, I post cool stuff. It's really, it's less about the store and more about just cool things that I come across while I'm busy, you know, looking at records. I found love letters done a big thing on um, the various record store stickers from around Johannesburg and the country which mm. I've which I really like I get a feeling all my followers are getting a bit bored of it <laughs> I, oh, really I think it's quite cool <laughs> <laughs> I mean I, I found I found you won't believe it but I've actually found home Polaroid porn <gasps> pictures in record sleeves oh wow I found guys hustlers yeah it, it, I found love letters and Valentine's Day cards and concerts, uh, you know, stubs, and there's all kinds of weird stuff you find in records. Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Not the porn stuff, but like the ticket stubs and no. stuff. <laughs> now, all the stories about how people sneak records into their homes, like when their wives are sleeping and through windows in the back study, and those stories are real. It's a it's an obsession that can get a little bit out of control from a financial perspective, I think. Yeah, and no, it's a rabbit hole. Like once you go down, and there's always something new, always. Yeah. Doesn't matter what you're into. There's, there's always something new. There's always something cool. Yeah. yeah. There's, there's a lot out there. Yeah. A lot. <laughs> Definitely. Awesome. Thank you very much, Kevin. I appreciate you taking the time. Thank you so much, Megan. Alrighty. Have a good one. Yeah, you have a good day. You too. Follow the Business of Podcast on my website, megamillist.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to the YouTube channel at Megamillist. Connect with me on LinkedIn, Megan Darcy, M-E-G-A-M-D apostrophe A-R-C-Y. Chat soon.